We'll be in Psalm 62 first. The main text is Psalm 100. But I want to look at something today. And I guess at the title of the message, if there would be a title today, today's message, it will be the real felt presence of God. And that's a question for all of us is if God is in fact with us and we don't or we're not aware of his presence, that something's wrong. If God's presence is among us, some of the old Puritan writers call that the felt presence of God. In other words, we should, we should feel that. There's writings in the Psalms in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of the words of psalmists that express that these psalmists knew what it was like to be in the actual presence of God. It was impactful upon them. They knew it. Now, we've talked about that before. But the truth of the matter is, you could be in a place where God's presence is and not feel a thing. That's a problem. I don't want to be on that side of God's presence. I want to know that if I've been in the presence of God, and if God is real, and we believe that He is, then we should want to know and experience that presence. Psalm 62, the psalmist in verse 1 and 2 says, Truly my soul wait, waiteth upon God, from Him cometh my salvation, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And then turn over in Psalm 62, in verse 5, the psalmist says, My soul wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from Him. And so what the psalmist teaches us is that we should have an expectation that God is going to speak to us. You should, we should expect that. And listen, this is real. And I'm not telling you that I always experience this, but as the people of God, we ought to experience the presence of God. If, if I say that I am a Christian, what I am saying is the Spirit of God is in me. But how often have we come to the gathering to the church in a state of spiritual dullness, only to leave the same way we came. Now listen, if I had a meeting with the President of the United States, we've talked about examples like this, or if you met a very famous person, odds are you won't forget that visit. If you went to the White House and the President invited you into the Oval Office and you sat down, that's something that you'd never forget if the president actually spoke to you personally, face to face, well, how much more if God speaks to us face to face? See, we enter the gathering of the saints, but sometimes our hearts are elsewhere or busy about worldly things or what we are doing later today. And the reason is we have not deliberately 
in our hearts come to appear before God. Too often we simply go to church and we leave. But to come to the gathering of the saints is actually to enter into the presence of God, into his holy presence. That's what we are to be doing. And so consider, do you believe, and I'm asking you this, and I want you to answer these questions in your mind. Do you believe that we ought to feel the presence of God on the Lord's day when we're gathered with the saints? Do you feel that there ought to be a felt presence? And I'm going to define more of what I mean here in a few moments. Should we be moved by the presence of God every time we meet as believers in Christ in our gatherings and fellowship? And you know what I mean by moved. By moved, I mean that God does something within you. Listen, every time the Word of God is opened and read and preached, every time we pray, should we not have the expectation that God is going to speak to us. Now, if God's going to speak to us, it's not going to be out of thin air. It's going to be out of his word. But the last question before we press on is, is meeting with God or has it become a foreign concept to us? Do we even know what it's like to be in the powerful presence of the living God? And again, you could be in a place where the Spirit of God's moving and you can look around perhaps and see other people actually being moved by the powerful presence of God and nothing is happening in you. You could hear others say, God spoke to me in that message. And you might think, I didn't get a thing. Now, one of two things is true. But listen, whether you hear the word of God preached in a church like this or whether you open it up in your home, God is speaking to you. So how do we know the spirit of God is present? How do we know the spirit of God is active and moving in our Lord's Day gatherings? How do we know? How do you know? Can the fact that others are here and they don't want to hear from God deprive you from the presence of God? No. Listen, we cannot harness or control the Spirit of God or command God to show up and work in our meetings. But what we can and ought to consistently be doing is preparing ourselves to come into His holy presence. If we really and genuinely desire God's presence among us, we must gather together in such a way as will please Him. And listen, this is for every soul, every young person to consider. I want you to think about this, that it is highly insulting to God to pretend to be pleased with the church gathering, but in your heart, say, I'd rather be somewhere else. There are some that will go into meetings and they'll hear something that's theologically correct and say, amen to that. But in their hearts, they're like, whatever. And so, consider we must gather in such a way that will please him. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith in God, it's impossible to please him. 
For he or she that comes to God must believe that he is, that he actually exists in truth, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So without faith, and listen, we don't have faith in faith. We don't just have faith in nothing. We have faith in an object. We have faith in a person. We have faith in the person of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. We come to church to hear God's revealed will. And that's really part of how we enter the right way into the presence of God. Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and his band of men sent for Peter, they sat down and they said, now we're all here ready to hear everything that God's commanded you to tell us. That's how we should come. Listen, when we come like that, God will speak to us. And listen, something something should happen if God speaks to you. Something should happen in you. You might think, oh, you're getting all crazy on us. No, I'm not. Something, we should be impacted when God speaks to us. All too often, I think God speaks, but we're not listening. See, there's something very wrong with us if we go from the place of worship, the place of God's presence, unmoved and having felt nothing. But we would be lying if we said that that doesn't happen. It does happen. And part of having it not happen is admitting that it does happen. And Lord, I have dishonored you by leaving the same way I came in, unmoved. And so, beloved, I don't want that from me. I don't want that for you. And listen, when I say that we ought to be moved by the presence of God and that we should feel the presence of God, I'm not talking about something fleeting and spurious or fake or false, I'm talking about some, I'm not talking about something temporary. I'm talking about something that's lasting and durable, not something that's gone as soon as you walk out. I'm not talking about an emotional high conjured up by special effects or by loud or soft music or by some fake man-made experience. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about being powerfully and permanently moved by the Spirit and Word of God. Listen, when it comes down to it, the saints of old and from the Scriptures, they rejoiced at the hearing of God's Word and they obeyed it. They listened. They, they, their emotions, if I could say, were stirred to be in the presence of God, in the presence of the prophets, in the presence of the apostles, hearing God's Word. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just in spirit without the truth, and not just in truth without the spirit. In spirit and in truth. Those two things are necessary. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the Apostle Paul said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, he said, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it, and this is very important, not as the word or words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works 
or worketh also in you that believe. See, whether you will experience God's presence or not depends on how you receive the word of God. The fact of the matter is, I should just be able to read the word of God and you should be moved by it. To not say another word about it. And listen, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this must be prayed for by you. If you really want to experience the felt presence of God, to be moved by the truths of God, then you must pray for this. You must seek God. And the first way to begin to understand and realize the actual presence of God is to realize perhaps that you've missed it. Listen, I'm not so sure I understand completely what it means to be in the presence of God. But I do know that when God speaks to us, it ought to move us, change us, transform us. Listen, throughout the Holy Scriptures, we read of expressions of praise in the saints of gladness and of joy in the saints of old who actually experience God's holy presence in their gatherings and in their personal devotions. Now, my question for you is, is that all gone today? I mean, are we just to go into church and sit like Stoics and then leave and then we walk out and 15 minutes later you say, what was the message on? And that God didn't speak to us at all? Are those Christian experiences that we read in the Psalms of the psalmist that says, My soul wait thou only upon God. Or in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but thee, O God? And there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Are those Christian experiences no longer part of the Christian life? Are churches just to be dead? Is it now a foreign concept to our Christianity that we don't expect or experience the powerful presence of God? Are we now relegated to sitting as lifeless Stoics in our gatherings? Have we become so religiously formal that we can only listen to the preaching of God's word like a boring textbook and a classroom lecture? And when the preaching of God's word is over, is it normal for us as God's people to have filled ourselves with knowledge about God, but we were not moved by that knowledge of God and we felt nothing from it? I mean, is that normal? It's not normal. Let me say it's not spiritually normal. See, there's something wrong with all that. If that's how it is with you, I hope you're not satisfied with coming and going from the church gathering like that. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you that that's not been the case with me at times. Listen, part of us entering into the presence of God the right way is admitting that we've not come into the presence of God the right way. And admitting, admitting that we have not come with hearts of reverence and our hearts being prepared to seek God. And again, I'm not talking about fake manufactured joy. 
and human emotions. I'm not talking, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something real, something genuine, something actually heaven sent. Listen, we all say at times, God spoke to me in that message. We all say that at times, don't we? God spoke to me. Now listen, if God spoke to you personally from his word, that should powerfully impact your life. Listen, if the uncreated God spoke to you, that should have a lasting, if not permanent, impact on you. And let me just say, when God's word is being preached, the uncreated God is speaking personally to you. He is. Listen, this shows the depth of our depravity that we don't hear God and that we don't reverence Him and we don't honor Him. Listen, if God speaks to us, that should powerfully change us and permanently move us. Now, how should that look? How does that look if God spoke to you? I can say God spoke to me, but how would that look when someone's heard from God and was moved by God in his word? Listen, if you've heard from God, you will worship him in reverence and godly fear. And you will obey what he has commanded you from his word, actually what he spoke to you about. Because listen, if God speaks to you, He's speaking to you out of his word, which is his revealed will. And between Genesis and Revelation is what God, that's God's message to fallen and sinful man. It's his message to the saints. If you've heard from God, your heart will be changed and renewed. Your heart will be purified, made clean, sanctified, made tender. Fact is, sometimes our hearts are hard and callous. If God's spoken to you, he will soften that callous heart. If God's spoken to you and you've sinned against God, you will be convicted and convinced about your sin. No one that's been spoken to by God cannot be convicted and convinced of their sins and in turn repent and turn from those sins. And then your heart will be filled with joy and gladness and genuine and real praise to God like that of the psalmist that we read of here. Like we'll look at in a moment in Psalm 100. Listen, when God speaks, we ought to hear. I don't know about you, but I want to experience the felt presence of God in our Lord's Day gatherings. I want to be moved by the word of God every time I open it. But listen, it will not be so here in our gathered assembly. It will not happen in our gathered assembly if you and I don't first experience the felt presence of God in our quiet and private times of devotion and worship in prayer before our God when we're by ourselves. Now think about that, Christian. You can't live two separate lives. If you would revere God and hear from Him here in our Lord's Day gatherings, then you must revere God in your 
life Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, in your personal life. You cannot be cold and lifeless toward God outside the gathering and expect to be warm and devoted to God in the gathering. You can't live out in the world and love the world and then all of a sudden come into the presence of God and expect to all of a sudden be in love with God. This morning, consider in Psalm 100 how you may rightly enter into the presence of God, but also how you might experience the presence of a living God. Psalm 100, it's five verses, we'll read it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and it is, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Starting with verse 1, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all, all you lands, the whole earth. This is a repeated stanza from Psalm 98.4. He says there, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise is the psalmist's adulation. This is not a manufactured noise. And not necessarily the noise of musical instruments, but the joyful noise of praise. Real praise, not fake praise. Of real praise, of real voices of the saints of God from all over the world who rejoice in the God of their salvation. The psalmist calls upon God's people to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, which literally means to give a glad shout. This ought to be a real Christian experience in our lives. You know what it's like to shout for joy, don't you? I mean, we should know what that's like. I've shouted for joy for some things that weren't of God. They were real shouts of joy. But they were in temporary, spurious things. Things that really didn't matter. Listen, if we joy and rejoice in our God, this blessed noise of praise ought to come out of our mouths. It'll be in our hearts. Again, I think about the useless and worthless earthly reasons and times that I have lifted up my voice for temporal and foolish things. Oh, that we would lift up our voices in praise to our God. Habakkuk the prophet says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive tree shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the herd, and there shall be no herd waiting in the stalls. Yet, the prophet says, will I rejoice in the Lord? 
He says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's real. That's the praise that we should have. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with his ornaments and jewels, so God decks me and clothes me in his righteousness. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. We sing that song. My soul shall be joyful in our God. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that joy within your heart so much so that it's got to come out of your mouth? It's like a vent. It's like old wine, new wine and old wineskins. It just comes out. It bursts forth. That we, these experiences we should have. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Then he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Listen, I think there's a sense in which sometimes Orthodox Christians will sit and look at somebody that gets excited about the Lord and they'll think, no, I'm not doing any of that. See, so you get too formal, rigid. And that's not what I see in the Psalms. Look, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Gladness meaning with pleasure. Now, listen, if we would please God with our lives, we must first serve him with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness in all that we do. When he says serve the Lord with gladness, he's not specifically speaking of here, though, yes, we should serve the Lord with gladness here. But if we're not serving the Lord with gladness in our everyday lives, in our jobs, in our homes, in our families, in our circumstances, it's going to be very difficult or even impossible to all of a sudden turn the switch on when you walk into the house of the Lord and serve him with gladness here. If you're miserable out there and you're not serving the Lord with gladness in the world, you're not going to automatically flip a switch and genuinely serve the Lord with gladness in the church. Because what God's given you to do out there, in what He's given you to do out there, you are to be serving Him. You mean in my job? Yes. Absolutely. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to just listen, you can. Ephesians chapter 6, the book of Ephesians, and chapter 6 and verse 5. Listen, if you're a Christian, you are a servant of the Lord. I'll tell you, if you're lost, you're a servant of the Lord. You're just a rebellious one. But listen, in Ephesians 6 and verse 5, Paul says here, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. That's out in the world. With fear and trembling, in singleness or sincerity of heart, as unto Christ. In other words, you work for a bad boss, obey him like you would obey Christ. 
He says here, not with eye service. You know what eye service is? Kids do that. I've done that. Eye service is you do it because somebody's watching. But he says, don't obey with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, in everything that you do, in your job, in your family, in your circumstances, in your home, wherever, do it as unto the Lord. If you're mowing the grass, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And in Colossians, Colossians 3.22, just two passages. There are many more, but Colossians 3.22 and 23. So how are you serving the Lord? If you've got a bad attitude in the world about serving in the capacity that you serve in the worldly sense, it's going to spill right over into your spiritual life. Listen, we ought to serve the Lord with gladness wherever we're at. And whomever we're serving, because the fact of the matter is, we're really serving Christ. And listen, we're representing him. So if I've got a bad attitude in the world, then I'm really misrepresenting and dishonoring the name of my Lord. I'm dishonoring him. And if anybody out there knows anything about their scriptures and they'll say, well, I thought you were a servant of God, then you should be serving happily and gladly. And they're right. 3.22 of Colossians, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Again, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, with heart, as to the Lord and not unto men. In other words, serve him with your heart, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. In everything that we do, we serve the Lord Christ. In the way we do all that we do. Only then will you be able to, of a truth, say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. See, if you're not glad to do what God's given you to do out there, you're not going to be glad when it comes around to the Lord's Day morning. You can't just flip a switch. Our Christian gladness should permeate every aspect of our worldly life or our life in the world not the other way around. But too often, our worldly attitude spills into what should be a good testimony in a Christian life. Listen, the psalmist in Psalm 84, I love Psalm 84. And listen, I want this to be me. I want this to be you. The psalmist said, how amiable, how lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Is that how you come into the church gathering? How lovely are thy tabernacles? Not because other Christians are there, so to say. Yes, we're happy that they are there, but that the presence of God is there. My soul longeth, the psalmist says, 
yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Has that been your experience? This ought to be your experience if you're a child of God. Even now, if you're saying this is not my experience, then shake yourself. Confess that to the Lord and say, yes, I want this to be what I experience, Lord. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. No one wants to be served by an unwilling and discontented or dissatisfied servant, much less God. If we would have God's presence, we must first be genuinely glad to come into his presence. But think about that. If you're not glad to come into God's presence, should you expect his presence and to be spoken to by him? To serve the Lord without gladness of heart is to dishonor him. It is to say that he is not worthy of our adoration and of our praise and of our willing and glad service. He goes on to say, come before his presence with singing. We ought to always come into the presence of God with a song upon our hearts. I'll just read Psalm 30 and verse 4. The book of Psalms 30 and verse 4, the psalmist says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks. And listen to what he gives thanks for. At the remembrance of his holiness. Give thanks at the remembrance of God's holiness. Psalm 40, he says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. You know the reason why people have, the reason why many professing Christians don't praise God? They don't bless God. They don't thank God. Because they're too dull to know the presence of God. They don't count their blessings as from God. They don't see the good hand of God in their lives, though it's there. And so serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Verse 3 and 4, know ye, I love those first two words, don't you know, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Now, in verse 3, look at that short little phrase. And not we ourselves. Verse 3. And not we ourselves. I think that helps us with the rest of the passage. What is the psalmist referring to? Not we ourselves. He's basically telling you, you're not God. Know you or do you not know that you are not God? You did not create yourself, but God created you. That's reason enough to praise God. 
It's reason enough to praise God that your heart is beating right now and that he is holding you in life. Do you know that when a heart stops beating and someone dies, that God has affected that and appointed that? God didn't just crank your heart up like a lawnmower and let it go. God determines every single beat of your heart, every breath of your life. God is intimately involved with every one of his creations. We did not create ourselves. God created us. Praise and thanks to God are to come forth from our hearts to God simply by virtue of the fact that he created us and that we belong to him. Know ye that I am God. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be silent and know that I am God. Do you know that God is God? Do you believe that he is God? Do you have faith in him as God? Hebrews 11, do you believe that he actually exists? Or is he just a figment of everyone's imagination we're just coming to church and we'll leave and we'll go do whatever we were doing before that's to say that there is no god oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker for he is our god and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand And so, beloved, we ought to come into the presence of God knowing that he is God and not us. And we ought to come into the presence of God full of thankfulness and praise to him. Psalm 97, verse 12, just a few passages here. One from the Old Testament. Well, a couple from the Old Testament and one from the New. Psalm 97, 12 says, Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance, there it is again, of his holiness. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, that is to thank him, to exalt him, to praise him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 104, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with majesty or with honor and majesty. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, the book of Hebrews, there was something happening in these psalmists' lives when they wrote these words. They had experienced the felt presence of God. Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says this, But by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So give thanks unto him, be thankful unto him, and bless his name. In everything give thanks, 1 Thessalonians says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then verse 5, as we wind down to a close, the psalmist says, For the Lord is good. 
His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. Listen, God is not only almighty and sovereign and the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is all of those things. He is not only a mighty and a terrible God, but He is also a good and a gentle God. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is full of love and compassion. And one of His greatest attributes beside His love is that He is long-suffering. He's long-spirited. It's amazing to me that sinners can attack God rebel against God, blaspheme God. And those same sinners can run to God for forgiveness. He is long-suffering, the book of Nahum says. He's slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. The Lord is good. The book of Romans said it is the goodness of God that leads people, sinners, to repentance. Christian, if you can't see how good God is in your life, you're blind. God's word is always perfectly relevant. God's word is always precisely right in every way. His word was true a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, and it's still infallibly true today. It's not old fashioned. It does not have to be revised. It's only got one edition and it's only got one author. It is God. And it is through God's holy word. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, those two things coupled together that you are able to enter into and enjoy the real presence of God. You won't enter into the presence of God without His Word. So I'll end with these questions or this question and I'll read one more passage. Is God's presence in our personal and corporate worship a foreign concept to the Christianity of 2020? We read of real experiences of the saints of old from the word of God. I don't know about you, but I want to experience the presence of God in my personal devotions and in our church gatherings every time we meet. I'll leave you with the heart of the psalmist, Psalm 63, verses 1 to 5. This ought to be our hearts. The psalmist cries out, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. Does your soul thirst for God? My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. What did he thirst for? Look at the next four words. To see thy power. That's a worthy prayer. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life. Can you say that from your heart? 
God, your loving kindness is better than life itself? And he says, because of that, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Now listen, if you're here and you've never believed in Christ, you've never turned from your sins to Christ in repentance and faith, you've never enjoyed the real, actual presence of God, well, you must turn from your sins to Christ in repentance and faith. It ought to make you shudder with fear to know that the word of God was opened and you experienced nothing. Listen, when the word of God is open and we experience nothing, if we read the word of God and it does not move us at all, something is wrong. Very, very wrong. But listen, if you continue to persist in that condition, outside of Christ, lost and dead in your trespasses and sins, when you die, you will be awakened. But it's not a good awakening because then it's too late. God gives us now space to repent if we have not. Listen, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins to Christ if you have not. Seek ye the Lord, the prophet Isaiah says, while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near, indicating there may be a time when he's not. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and God will have mercy upon that sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's dismiss in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this message. I pray that it's been clear to those that have heard it. I pray, Father, that we would know your presence. We would desire your presence. We would pray for your presence, not only in our corporate worship, but in our private devotions. I pray that you would speak to us. Father, in that we are without feeling at times shows the depths of our depravity. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us. Save the lost, Father. Speak. Speak, Lord, where I cannot. Do your work where I cannot reach. Father, you taught us in the Corinthian letter, Neither is he that planteth anything or he that waters, but God that gives the increase. And so do your work, Father, in the hearts of every soul. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.